Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Manscaped, our new major sponsors on the Rugby League Guru podcast, have just launched in Australia. We've gone years without using the right tools for the job. You can be one of the first to experience their life-changing products here in Australia. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code GURU20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code GURU20. Send me a message on the Instagram page or hit the link in the podcast description. Let's get those Rubik's Cubes sorted, fellas. Let's kick off the podcast. Down the block. Welcome back to the Rugby League Guru Podcast. Today, I'm lucky enough to be joined by one of my all-time favourite players, Brett Finch. This is only part one of a three-part series with Brett Finch. I found that when we started talking, I thought it would go for an hour. We ended up talking for about two and a half hours. We got along like a house on fire, and I knew he was going to be a good bloke, but he blew me away. He was an absolute legend. Had plenty of time for me, as he does for everyone he's involved in. Part one here, we talk about Finch's childhood. Obviously, his father was a rugby league great, especially up in the in the Hunter region. Very well respected up there. His father won two premierships with St. George. He was an Australian schoolboy prodigy, and of course he coached up at the Knights Juniors which meant that he coached and had a very close relationship with Andrew and Matthew Johns so Brett Finch was childhood mates with them and he tells a few stories about the Johns boys when he was growing up and the impact and effect that they had on his life Super League then rocks Newcastle the town split in two between the Newcastle Knights and the Hunter Mariners and I'll let Finchie tell the story but his daddy sort of left out to dry there sort of got caught in the middle of the two and eventually it meant that he had to leave Newcastle you know a town that he was so highly respected in and he'd done so much for. His old man lands in Canberra and as you do when your old man gets a job somewhere else, you move with the family. So Finchie winds up in Canberra. No association to the Raiders. He you know, he wasn't signed there or anything. He fought his way into those junior squads and a couple of years later he's sitting in class and over the loudspeaker Brett Finch to the front office. Goes to the office and they tell him that Mal Meninga's just called. He's playing first grade this week. Just incredible stuff. Still at school, 17 years old, playing first grade. Talks about, you know, in those f- first few years, playing alongside Laurie Daly, 
one of his childhood heroes, one of everyone's childhood heroes, Laurie Daly, an incredible experience. He talks about a game when they played the Newcastle Knights, and of course it was his first time coming up against Joey Johns, and he really wanted to leave his mark, Finchie. And the game was on the line, 20-all. Andrew Johns takes a shot at field goal, he misses. So it's Canberra's 20-metre restart. And for those that don't know, if you've got a 20-metre restart and you kick the ball into touch on the bounce, you get the ball back where it went out. The game was on the line, and Finchie wanted to win. He wasn't happy with having the draw or playing down the clock. He goes for it. Unfortunately, the ball goes out on the full. Newcastle penalty. Andrew Johns kicks the goal to win the game. But it's that mentality that I love about Finchie. He is all chips in all the time. Sometimes it comes up. Sometimes it doesn't. It's a fantastic mentality that Finch dives right into. That at that moment, Andrew Johns told some of his teammates to shut up and stop giving Finchie shit because he understands that mentality. He has that mentality. Not many blokes do. He then talks about his move to the Roosters, and, you know, a lot of people say, oh, he went to a star-studded team, but, geez, it's hard being a halfback coming into a team that's won the premiership the year before. They don't need you. So he had a lot to prove, Finchie, and he gets to play with another childhood hero there, Brad Fittler. So he talks about Freddie and the impact he had on his career. Really interesting tact, you know, their relationship on and off the field. And, of course, he touches on his origin field goal. As I said before, Finchie is all chips in on everything he does, and that moment... The game was on the line, the biggest game of his career. He was hungover as fuck. He'll tell that story. The 24 hours before that is simply incredible. There could not possibly be a worse preparation for a State of Origin game. And Finchie came in. You know, He scored the first try. Then he delivered the play that won the game for New South Wales. Incredible stuff. This is a great chat with Finchie. It's only part one. You'll hear part two and part three over the next three weeks. I know you'll love it. Let's kick it off. Finch. Finch takes the shot. It's got the He's hole. Yeah. It's got the leg. I think yeah. it's there. Yes, it's there. Brett Finch, the hero. He has kicked the field goal. Brett Finch, welcome on. How are we, mate? And how's things? All going well. Geez, you're a hard man to get a hold of just quietly. It's um, hard man for me misses to get hold of, let alone <laughs> anyone else, mate. But uh, I'm off the grid a bit at the moment. I've got no phone, which I haven't for about three months. And it's been great. No social media. So um, I've been enjoying life, obviously. Change the pace for me this year, not working at Fox. So um, I've got a 15-month-old girl you might hear in the background there. and um, It's been great spending time with her and, and really enjoyed that. So it's, um, it's been a nice change of pace. Mate, off the grid's an understatement. I was almost sending pigeons with notes on them to find you. <laughs> it's a, sometimes the missus used to have to do that on a Sunday afternoon. I've been missus since Friday. So, um, but no, it's been great, mate. So I've moved down here to the Shire. Um, God's country, they call it, but it's nice down here. It's been a nice change of pace. And, um, you know, I'm not big on the social media or my phone. You know, all the boys are always into me, never returning calls. But if anyone needs me, they know they can get me through my missus. So it's, it's been good. I've really enjoyed it. But you're right. I, it's not the first time I've been told I'm hard to get hold of. Mate, I imagine, you know, it's probably for the best that you didn't move down to Cronulla 20 years ago. It could have been carnage. It could have been. Speaking of carnage, especially when Toddy Carnage was down here. I thought it was and it's um, like I said, it's been great. We're moved down here. I was in the eastern suburbs, come down here, get a bit bigger house. I got a little girl now, so to have the pool out in the backyard and um, you know a bit of a uh, bit of backyard for him to run around. And so coming in the summer, it's uh, it's really good. Mate, I imagine the last eighteen months, obviously um, Ellie and your daughter coming along, you must just be a different man now. How's how's that all feeling? Oh, it's great. It's um, I was sort of the last of my all my mates to get married and settle down and, and have kids so you know my brother had he's two years older than me he had kids at 22 23 you know i, I had my daughter at you know, 37 38 so 
he or your mates talk about how, how you feel about your daughter's just, you know, and it's not stand. I'm thinking, of course I understand. You know, I love me mum, I love your wife. I know what loving someone means, but, and that, nah, you won't understand until you have a kid. And then when you have a kid, it's just wow. And for me, all I ever wanted to do was play football. And all I'd ever done was play football. So when I finished playing football, you know, at the age of 32, 33, you sit there and go, well, this is all I ever wanted to do. But I'm only hopefully one third through my life. What am I going to do now? You know, and you know, you think you, you know, my life was consumed by football from a young age with my dad and family, then by playing young. Sometimes I think, well, I've, I've done what I set out to achieve in life. Where do I go to now? And that's where I got really lost. But you know, then when uh, Ellie uh, gave birth to Mackenzie, it's like, wow, that that's that's why I'm supposed to be here. You know, to be a father and. You know, you talk, hear when people talk about their love for their kids or their love for their, you know, father for his daughters. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. And, um, you know, I feel so grateful for the position I'm in. And Ellie's a wonderful mum. And um, she's a great little girl. She's got plenty of character about herself. She can be quite loud and cheeky at times. I don't know where she gets that Shock from. me. Maybe your mother. <laughs> but, um, but no, it uh, certainly has changed my life, mate. Changed my life for the, for the better. It's been, been uh, absolutely magic. Mate, you mentioned your father there, of course. You know, a bit of a legend around the uh, Hunter region. You know, an Aussie schoolboy when he was quite young. Two premierships with St. George. I mean, cast a pretty big shadow. Yeah, did I never seen it that way? You know, Dad never pushed us into anything. He certainly, uh, him, Mum and Dad gave us great support. Um, you know, and Dad's all about if you're going to do something, do something to your best, you know, give it your best shot. If you don't want to play footy, we didn't have to play footy, but... I said earlier, far back, my earliest memory was I had a footy in my hands and at no point did I thought I was going to do something else and then I chose football. It was always footy, so there's no plan B. And um, like I said, Dad had a great career with footy and and, he, and back then there was, there was no nights then, so to someone to be successful in Sydney, you know, they said, it was, they, had, they had a big, good reputation in the Newcastle area. The Knights come in and he got involved in coaching uh, at the Knights in the lower grades and um, so my, you know, my my weekends was, you know, I'd play me footy on Saturday and I'd be ball boy for the nights on Sunday, you know, in front of 20,000 people, you know. It was, it was a great way to grow up and a great childhood. But, but um, yeah, you know, I never felt any pressure with that. You know, having Dad had the success he had, he was always – him. Uh, both uh, Dad and Mum were, were super encouraging and no point if, it, you know, they, they pressured us to do it. If we didn't want to play footy, that, you know, there would be no skin off his nose. Mate, I spoke to your good mate, Craig Fitzgibbon, a few weeks ago. Obviously, his father was a coach as well, and he spoke about that, you know, he did have little breaks and advantages growing up. You know, he spent a lot of time in change rooms. He, you know, sat in the lounge room listening to a lot of conversations between dad and players. Um, what sort of advantages do you think you took from your childhood? Oh, yeah, the doubt that the same, exactly what Fitzy said. You know, in the old days, the video sessions, and now you got the footy officers, they would be um, at – they would have the video session in the lounge room. You know, so Monday night, the team would be all in our lounge room and somehow I'd sneak in the back there even though my old man wouldn't, you know, If they lost, I probably wouldn't sneak in because I knew we'd be into them. But if they weren't sneaking, I'd be listening to the video sessions they'd have and nothing would be on computer, it'd be the old rewind, you know, the, the, the VCR. Um, so I, I had that advantage in and around the boys. And another advantage, you know, like, Dad was coaching at the Knights. He had, he had you know, it turned out the luxury to coach blokes like Adam Mill, Paul Harrigan, uh, Matthew and Andrew Johns, right now, Oreo Davis, brought all these blokes through. So I guess the relationship I had with those guys going into my early teens, you know, I've seen how hard they worked as well, you know. Um, uh, Matthew and Andrew, the Johns family have a caravan up in uh, Finley Bar. I'm not sure if they sure still do, but they did at the time. 
And we would holiday up there and, you know, they were they would come and wake me up at six in the morning. My brother six in the morning would go over to the park and, and start doing extras, you know. So I was 10, 12 years of age. So ingrained in, in me at, at, at that age that this is the work ethic you need and, and you know, nothing comes easy. So I, I certainly felt that was an advantage because I always thought one of my strengths was my ability to train hard and, and try to improve anyway. Mate, I imagine being a young bloke in Newcastle and having the two Johns brothers, like, you, you just can't buy that sort of experience, can you? No, it's not. And, it's, and, and like Fitzy said, to be sitting in there fully changed for him, man, it's a, I, I wouldn't swap my world for the life I had ever. You know, if I could do it all over again, I'd love to. I'd do it tomorrow. Um, but just that environment, you know, and sometimes it can be not the best influences, but, but more often than not, it's great, you know. You've been around your mates and... You've seen how funny they are in the banter. And, and if you're a dickhead, you usually, you know, you might get some odd cats in the footy, footy team, but if you're a dickhead, everything gets leveled out. You, you don't last too long, you know. Um, it's a great level of rugby league. And, and um, you know, I've seen those, you know, maybe we'd have boys around for um, beers at, at our house too on Sundays and the team when I was young, you watch them, like just the fun, you know, they train hard and play hard, but then the fun, you know, they're just having that team environment. I suppose that goes for any sport or team environment. And I'm still great mates with them both today, you know, so that's 30 years later. So so I feel pretty blessed with that. Mate, I love those stories those two tell of when they're uh, they're lining up a goal kick and the the bucktooth kid comes out with the sand and with with the quickest lip in Newcastle. Did your old man ever ever pull you up on that shit or was he happy for you just to run with it? No, we kept it pretty quiet. They had had some pretty successful teams during those high grades. They made the grand final a few times in semi, so... More often than that, I, not, I knew if they missed the goal, it wasn't going to affect the result, you know. So but I remember one time, Maddie, there was a few injuries and Maddie wasn't the regular goal kicker. And Dad said Maddie was a bit of a nervous Nelly before games anyway. When Maddie looked like, uh, Andrew looked like he'd just come out of the nightclub and was ready to go, you know. When Maddie was more of a nervous Nelly and, and overthought things a bit and he was real nervous about being the goal kicker. So I knew that, you know, because I'd heard Dad talk about it. And we got a penalty goal early in the game and I ran out the sand and I said, mate, no chance of kicking this, <laughs> you know. You know, and just you're and he, you know, he sprayed it wide. The next kick, he gets a chance. I go, listen, I've just heard the call. I just made stuff up. I was, I've just heard Dad just say, mate, if you miss it again, you're off. You know, he's, <laughs> and sure enough, he missed it again. They still won the game, but uh, I don't think Maddie ever kicked again. But um, Joey, Joey was, um, you know, obviously he was a great goal kicker, so. Try to call him everything under the sun just to distract him. Hard ass, fat ass, but uh, more often than not, he'd put it straight between the posts anyway. Mate, obviously, you said your dad coached in the lower grades there, and, you know, I'm, I'm just doing some maths here. Obviously, they won the premiership in 1997. I imagine your father would have been, you know, quite heavily involved in that squad as they were coming through the years. Yeah, well, no, pretty much all. You know, well, certainly probably 80% of them um, coming through under 21s, first grade, um, you know, at that point, we'd got uh, Dad signed at Super League. You know, not many people outside Newcastle know how pretty toxic it got there. It was quite heavy, the Super League. Super League. Well, Dad was football manager at the Knights in 95. The club wanted to go Super League because they had no money. And um, the club advised Dad to go across because they knew if Dad went across, because he had such a good relationship with a lot of the guys that the players would follow. And, you know, one thing led to another. And uh, Chief and a lot of the people, a lot of the boys had signed. So dad got left uh, hanging out to dry a bit. So he was left with the Super League, you know, and he was like, man, you just told me to go over and sign. And what am I supposed to do now? So the Hunter Mariners formed. 
So I think that was a bit tough for Dad, certainly that 97 season, because he brought all those players through and was such a big thing for the Newcastle area. And around that time, you know, our family got death threats. Um, sister, my sister, my younger sister got bullied at school. She was 12, 13 years of age Te- from teachers, from teachers. Wow. You know, teachers um, you know things like that. So it was quite, it was quite it had a big effect on the family and it was a tough moment. But um, no, we, we got through that. But I don't know if you for Dad at that time. I, I'm, I'm sure he doesn't, you know, what it, you know, he can't change what's happened in the past, but I'm sure that was hard for him because he left the hung out the dry a bit and he didn't get a chance to celebrate with those guys who he had a lot to do with, you know, bringing into first grade. So, yeah, you're right. But it was, a, it was a special time for the Knights during that period. And, you know, anyone who knows their footy knows the town just went absolutely bananas. You know, they, they got the bus home from the footy stadium after the grand final and they're lying in the streets from Gosford. So it's a bit like the reception I get when I go back up there these days. <laughs> All the police cars lined up waiting for you. I get the police escort, but just a different kind. <laughs> Brett, mate, like obviously a lot of relationships were torn apart um, up there in Newcastle during that period. Would you say they've all been mended now or, you know, are the wounds still there? You know, we're speaking about Matt and Andrew. I know dad, that Matt and Dad were very close and that was, you know, that relationship was fractured there for a while. And I know it hurt both, both Dad and Matt, you know, they were, they were really close and, and it's obviously times healed all wounds, but no doubt there was very volatile and it felt like you had to pick sides, you know? Um, and I was about 15, 16, but you know, I know, it, I know it affected a lot of people. I don't, I don't think a lot of relationships haven't got back to where they were before that, but I think as time goes on, you, you move on with your life and um, you know, it was pretty nasty there for a while. Like I said, there's death threats, you know, people were getting bullied the office, the Hunter Mariners football office, I'd get, their windows broken multiple times. You know, people were glass in the windows and throwing bottles through the windows. So it's pretty nasty there for a while. And, but you, you get to a point now where, you know, I don't think all relationships may have ever gone back to where they were, but, you know, you move on and get on with life and, you know, hope everyone's sort of doing well. So, mate, did you obviously play some junior footy representing uh, the Hunter Mariners? I did. I played Hunter Mariners. I played um, in the 97 season. I played under 17, so I was 15 that year. Uh, in my team, I had Willie Mason and Ryan O'Hara, who's a former front row at the time. So um, we had a pretty good team. It was only the one year. Um, we finished fifth in the, in the competition. So, But, yeah, it was, um, it was it was a good year because you're, you're a young kid and you're, you're playing the Perth Reds and North Queensland Cowboys, you know. So for a 17-year-old, we're flying to Townsville. And there's certainly no expense spared, you know. They, they give you get Nikes, you know, Air Maxes. And- yeah, how good's that? Yeah. And for a 15-year-old, that was gold, you know, and you get the Nike tracksuits, you know. So um, I'm rocking in the school for sport on Friday with the, the grouse Nike <laughs> Eats, you know. Yeah, but it was a great time and um, obviously there's a lot of chaos around it, but, you know, certainly we made some friends out of that, that year that, you know, I've still got now. Mate, it's one of the many uh, kits that you collect over your career. Obviously, the next yeah, one is the Canberra Raiders, <laughs> the kit man. Mate, I, uh, how did you end up in Canberra? Well, well, the Super League folded and then Dad went down there to work. We got News Limited on Canberra, obviously News Limited Super League, and they put Dad as football manager at Canberra. So I went down there just with Dad for work. Um, in January uh, 1998, we moved down there Australia Day, 1998. Um, was, at the end of that a month, a week or two later, there was some under-17s trials for the SG Bull team. I just asked if I could trial, I could trial for the team, made the team and... Um, end up playing jersey you know, under 17s and under 19s that year. So but we went down there for dad. You know, I wasn't signed down there. I, you know, the Raiders never got me down there. I went down there. 
understand the job and then work my way through Tell me about your first grade debut. I believe you get the call when when you're sitting in class. What, I was in trouble. I got called out over the speaker here in class to come and go to the office. And I, you know, I was always a pretty, I was a scallywag, but I wouldn't get myself in trouble. You know, I knew the difference between right and wrong. And I, as much as I was cheeky, I was never disrespectful. So usually any calls to, to the office were uh, people were in trouble. So I'll, I'll shit myself. I get in there and it was like lunchtime just before lunch and the principal goes, mate, just been called from the, the uh, from the office, from the Raiders' office. You're in the team this week. It's the first grade. You've got to go to training. So, uh, we played on a Friday night against Melbourne Storm. Laurie Daly was out in. Uh, no, Laurie Daly had been picked in origin, so he was missing the game. Uh, I come off the bench, uh, played Melbourne. I, it was a Friday night game, so I, had, I went to school till lunchtime. <laughs> Um, and then, then went off and played the game. So um, the match, we got some good match payments, which certainly helped me at the canteen. I was a famous, I was pretty, uh, pretty popular at the canteen, plenty of chocolate milks on me and sausage rolls. But um, yeah, it was a great, you know, I was thinking if I'd stay in Newcastle, I may have never been good because, you know, behind Andrew, but, you know, certainly got an opportunity down there probably earlier than I, I would have thought. And to play with blokes like Daly and Ferner and Wiki and be coached by Mal Meninga, you know, they were that, um, you know, they had been involved in that dream team of the early 90s at Canberra, you know, like they were just, they were heroes. So um, it, was, it was great to be involved with them. I was really young, but, um, you know, still an awesome experience. You say, like, if you would have stayed in Newcastle, you probably wouldn't have debuted. Of course, the man that you came up against that on that night in your debut, Brett Kamali, the halfback for the Melbourne Storm, pretty similar story there. You know, two kids from Newcastle, one ends up in Canberra, one ends up in Melbourne. It's and crazy how rugby league have- works. Yeah, we were both at the Mariners too. So Noddy, Noddy was the halfback at the Mariners. Obviously, I was in the juniors. Um, but um, I had a pretty good halfback there in the red and blue who turned out to be the eighth immortal. So um, for a lot of your halfbacks, you know, Matthew Robwell played at the Dragons there for a while. And, um, you know, I know a lot since throughout his career, Luke Dawn, um, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of us that, are, that don't come to mind. Had to go elsewhere to, to find their, apply their trade because of, just you know, we come across a bit like Stuart McGill with Shane Warne, you know, like you, or the, you know, you come across an era where you know you'd be behind one of the absolute greatest that's ever played. So, but you know that that doesn't change anything. You know, not, I'm sure Noddy wouldn't think of any differently. But certainly, there was a period there where there was four or five halfbacks throughout the competition who were Newcastle juniors you now in early 2000. So, yeah, you're right. And to come up against Noddy, he was someone I always respected, Noddy. Mate, you mentioned some of the guys like Laurie Daly, Mal Meninga, and, you know, over the first four years of your career, obviously you grew up with the Johns brothers. You played with Daly, coached by Mal. You played with Freddie, coached by Ricky Stewart. Like, fuck, it was just star-studded, wasn't it? You just you just kept running into these all-time greats. Um, if the poor bastards, they kept running into me. <laughs> well, the, the Laurie, Laurie's last game in 2000 was in a semifinal. We played the Roosters, and I was the halfback. And Freddie's last game was in the 2004 grand final. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You know, I was like the Grim Reaper. All these legends, they're, they're, 
They have a couple of years as me. They go, oh, I'm out. I want to retire. Get me away from you. You're fisting but one by one. Yeah, I just kept chopping them down. But you're right. And then I had Sticky as a coach at the at the Roosters, and he was one of the greatest halfbacks ever. Uh, Brad Fittler was my hero growing up. So uh, I remember Sticky approached me. Uh, Sticky and Ricky Stewart and Gus Gould approached me about going to the Roosters. I wanted to know what Freddie wanted me there because Freddie was my hero. I didn't want to go there. It's not being your hero. All of a sudden, he hates you. I'd be devastated. You know, for 20 years, I'd love the bloke and then I'd meet the bloke and, you know, he thinks I'm a dickhead. You know, <laughs> but we turned out to be super close mates and we're so close, still close now. So, you know, I, I've, you know, obviously I'd love to achieve more. You know, at times, you know, made different decisions in my life. But when I look back, you know, I was, those names you just mentioned, you know, for a footy nerd and, you know, I was a footy head. You know, I can remember games back in the 80s and who won what, and, you know, all the way through to today. All the games I played, I'll tell you what date, what game, what round. So, so from being involved with that, those caliber of, of superstars, and they're all such down-to-earth people, I, you know, I, I was really lucky and, and grateful for that. Mate, before we get to your Roosters days, there's a game I want to talk about, and, you know, we see the highlight every year at some point. Um, you're playing Newcastle. Andrew Johns takes a shot at field goal. He misses. You got the 20-meter tap. And, you know, a lot of people bag you for this play. And, you know, sweet. But the way that I look at it is that the game was on the line. You wanted the ball in your hands. You went to fine touch. And, of course, if you fine touch, you get the ball there. Unfortunately, landed in the crowd. And it's just – I imagine that must have been an extremely low point for a young bloke. Oh, it was because it was the first time I come up against Joey and we had great history. A bit, um, bit raw because of the Super League. You know, it's two or three years after, three years after, four years after. And you know, I wanted to beat him. I wanted to win. And not many people have done that. The first sort of person who did it was Ricky Stewart from Canterbury the year before. So it was one of those rules people didn't really know about. So Jory goes for the kick, 20 all, misses. You know, most people be satisfied with that. I remember just getting the ball thing on, going for it. And I hit it sweet, the kick. I was going, I thought, this is perfect, you know. I think it's going to land close to around that 30, 35 metre line and then off the scrum I'll try for a field goal. But then it kept going and going and I thought, oh shit, this is going out in the full. And it went out in the full and no one knew the rule, like, because no one really knew the rule originally, but no one knew the rule if you kicked out the full. What's the result from that? Is it a scrum on the 20 metre line, the rest playing the penalty and I'll just, uh, I'll break down, I got a bit emotional. Yeah. I, I remember a few young, uh, not young players at the Knights, but other blokes I knew who, we're mediocre first graders. They were sitting there and they started hammering me. Uh, and Joey got the ball and turned and told him to shut their mouth, you know. You know and, and he knew as a halfback and he got straight away. He said what you said. He goes, you blokes will never understand what he's done and the mentality behind that. You know, you, you, you do your job, that's fine. But he, and this kid's 18 and he's trying to put his balls on the line. And he come up with swap shorts. I think he just did that to try and um, take a bit of pressure off me. There's certainly a... I can still fit in those shorts today. Joe, he's plenty of leg room there and arms room. But he was really good. And I always say I'll cop some stick for it and I deserve to cop some stick for it. I lost the game. But throughout my career, I've done that a million times. And 99 times out of 100, I come up short. The reason I kicked the field goal in origin was because I had that mentality. You know? And no matter what the situation, I always thought the odds I could beat that, you know. Now, I should have known better, you know. I should have known my limitations better because it got, it got me into trouble. But I've got moments throughout my career that not many players have got, you know, because I had I backed myself no matter what. Now, I know that I wasn't the most popular player. You know, I, I think during my time, I was as heavily criticised as anyone that's been played, you know. But I knew what I, the value I brought to me, mates, and I knew when the game was in line, I wanted the ball, you know. 
you know. And like I said, plenty of times I come up short. I'll take that, you know. I've got those moments in my career and, and I can cherish those moments because I had that mentality. If I didn't have that, I would, probably wouldn't have got as criticised as much, but I wouldn't have had those moments. And I'd rather have those moments than not have them. And, um, yeah, like you said, there's some lucky to have the field goal. You now, those moments like the field goal come off plenty of those moments like the Knights game where, you know, I come up short and didn't, didn't land the right play. But um, the funny thing was I bloke come up for an autograph after that Knights game and he had to pick the score footy ticket. 20 all. Oh, good God. <laughs> Mate, I had the t- I signed it. It was, would have been for like 30-something grand. <laughs> oh. So the ball was 22-20, but some badly, any to his credit, he, he you know, probably deserved to knock me out, and I probably would have done that too, but he laughed it off. I signed his tab ticket, picked the score of 30 <laughs> grand. So yeah. Oh. Uh, if you dick me now, now the pandemic's hitting everyone's under the pump on here, so he's probably come looking for me soon. That's about 50K nowadays. Mate, obviously you mentioned there that you always back yourself. And the thing that I love about your attitude is that I know that if that game would have gone on for another five minutes and Joey misses another field goal, I know you would have gone for it again, (laughs) kicking that 20 metre and go for it. I I love the way you go all chips in. There's so many guys in the comp now that I watch that, you know, you hear them talking that they want the ball in their hands. But then when it comes to the pressure moments, it's only a select few that actually want the ball in their hands. And I think it says a lot about you. Yeah, man, I've, I've told too many people this, but when I, we played Origin, I come in kick field goal when I come in um, the night before the game. Queensland scored in the corner, I think, to make it 16-14. Now, obviously, I was hoping Thurston missed the goal. But as he lined up to kick it, I thought, if he, if he gets this, I was thinking to myself, I'm a one in three chance of being here. I said, because I'm going to take the kick for us and either Lockyer or Thurston will take it. And I'm thinking that. If he kicks it, I'm, I'm, a chance, I'm kicking it, you know? And you hear on the commentary... Who goes, Braith and Astor's a long-range specialist. That whole set, there's no way Braith was on going to let him anywhere near it, you know? <laughs> I was always going for it. And plus, you know, I understood the, the, the surroundings. I'd come in at 11 o'clock the night before. I'd been on the drink for three days. And here I am, you know, imagine I kicked the field goal to win an origin in front of 80. <laughs> I knew this, you know, the opportunity that had presented itself. And again, lucky for me, on that occasion, mate, when I hit it, I'd never hit the ball so sweetly. You know, when you hear a six out of the middle of the bat, just and when it come off my boot, I just went, this is going over. And but I could have kicked it from Paddington. That's how far away. Like, it was just sailed. But again, it was lucky on the biggest occasion. You know, it's when you always bet on black. I was lucky when, when all the chips were in the middle on the biggest occasion, it, it landed my way. But, but like I said, there was plenty of times it didn't. Mate, whilst we're talking about that field goal, I was going to talk about it later, but, you know, like, and people sort of say, oh, he came in for one game. He, you know, he had one lucky kick, but... You know, people that understand football, even the way that you hold a ball when you're drop kicking, you hold it at the very top, you open up the face of the ball, which when you hit them right, it'll go forever, but they're extremely hard to hit with the way that you used to hold the ball. It was just all, you know, all chips in for you, wasn't it? And, and that's how I play. And, and you know, I don't I made as many mistakes as anyone, but my, my teammates knew I'd, you know, I got a pass, pass mark with my teammates and coaches because I knew I was trying. You know, if I missed the tackle, it wasn't because I was not wanting to make the tackle, it was just because I... It was too big, you know. I was trying to make the tackle, so you know, I'd get a, a lead pass, you know, a hall, you know, a hall pass with a lot of the boys because they go, Well, we know, you, know you're trying, and you know, in that situation, I always back myself. So I'd come into Origin, I knew a lot of those guys, a lot of those guys were close mates, you know, Gaz and Braith and Willie and uh, Ogre, Bedsy, Bobcat, you know, the list goes on. You know, they're, they're all Rollsy, they're all good mates, so I felt comfortable in the environment, and 
I'm playing with the best of the best, so it's actually going to be easier than a local, than a normal comp game. And I've got nothing to lose. So, you know, again, I didn't have the longest origin career. I played three games, but mate, let me tell you, I'll never forget that feeling when 80,000 people are cheering because of you, you know. I don't know too many people have had that, you know, and that's that pure surge and adrenaline of emotion is mate, something I'll never, ever get anywhere in my life ever again. So really grateful I was never, the, I wouldn't call myself an origin player. I don't think, you know, probably going to classify that, but I did play origin and lucky enough to you know, have my moment. Mate, you mentioned that moment where the 80,000 are cheering you on. Take me back 24 hours before that, because I heard you tell this on the companion the other day, and it is it, this story defies belief. Well, well, it is true. I was hungover. Um, we played Sunday South on a drink. Sunday night, Monday we did some recovery. Monday Arvo Club back on the beers. Tuesday we trained in the morning, and Tuesday Arvo was back back on the beers, and that's what we did back then, you know. Um, anyway, I'm at the Bronte RSL, but I'm not answering my phone. I'm seeing this private number. I'm not answering. And anyway, they somehow someone knows I'm there. They don't know. Oh, how'd they know, they mate? Know. How'd they take a wild so, guess? They take a wild guess. I said to the Beach Road Hotel, Bondi or Bronte RSL. Um, so they, they call the front. They call the front door, like the front front the reception, and I get called over the two way. You know, Brett Fee's the reception, so I go to reception. They hand me the phone, and it's. Uh, it's Laurie Dale, it's just in case of Finchie, you're in origin. And they said, you've got to come out to Parramatta out the Seaball. You know, this is like 9.30, 10 o'clock. I went, beauty, I'll be right there. And I then get on the two-way and they go, the Finch man's in origin. <laughs> and I actually go back and I shout the bar for like 20 minutes or so, have a couple more beers. I think, shit, I'd better get, um, better get out to um, the Seaball so I get a taxi home, quickly pack me bags, get a taxi out to... Um, to Parramatta and, and get out to the Seabull at about 11, 30, 12 o'clock the night before the game. And I'm you know, a little worse for wear. And I could see him looking at me there going like, Jesus, he doesn't look too good. <laughs> and they said, what have you been doing, Fitchy? I said, well, Loz, you caught me. I was at the Bronny RSL. I think you got a pretty good idea. Um, and, and the way it just adds to the story and the, the, you know, the legend of the story that what happened the following night. I mean, I didn't have any boots. I forgot to pack any boots. So we go for a walk through the next morning. And of course, I was so pissed the night before I forgot to pack my boots. Now, who forgets to pack their boots for origin? <laughs> um, so I'm there training in me Chuck Taylor's, the, the converses, and all the boys have been in camp for two weeks. They're going, this dickhead's going to blow up for all of us. But um, again, we got the result we wanted, and um, it helps me with my uh, sports lunch and stories, you know? Mate, it's a ripping story, my God. Mate, t- take me back to, um, you know, when, when your time at Canberra wraps up, you make your way to the Roosters. Now, of course, they win the comp in 2002 and Simon Benetti's their hooker. Craig Wing's at halfback. Benetti retires. Wing moves to hooker. They need a seven. How did it come about that you ended up being the man? Well, man, when I signed with the Chooks, they were coming about eighth during the season. They were really inconsistent up and down. I got approached by the Dragons and, and the Roosters and I chose the, the Roosters. Then they went on a game winning streak back into that year. They're unstoppable. They're fine. Obviously, the dogs happened their salary cap. And then boom, 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 the, the, the dominoes fell and the Roosters went on a big roll and, and sweep the field. Like, I'm like, shit, they have to win it this year. You know? Now I'm on a hide in the nothing. You know? But we come in the next year, Simon Benitti, they knew he was retiring. We went to hooker. And I played half back. I probably struggled the first half of that season. Just such a dominant team trying to get in the key position you're playing to try and take over everyone. They won the comp the year before, so it's not like they needed me help. 
to try and, you know, as a half, you've got to take control of the team and, and having Freddie there, you know. So it took me a little while to find my feet. Um, my first game was the World Cup Challenge, and that was an awesome trip. Mate, I spoke to you, your good mate Anthony Minicello a few weeks ago and we spoke about that World Club Challenge and he, he said to me, mate, go and look at all the photos and look at Finchie and if you're not holding a trophy, you're holding a bottle of champagne carrying on. You didn't miss. I didn't miss. You'd think I was vice-captain if you didn't know any different. <laughs> you look like you'd been there for 10 years waiting yeah, for a shot. I, I, look, I look like I was 10 years old to how young I look, but um, I was right in there. And I just, again, I, you know, sometimes when people see me look... I could have carried on a bit and probably looked like that whether I spit the dummy or Yahoo and I was, but I just loved it so much and I was a roller coaster for me and those pictures I'm next to Freddie holding the trophy on, on one side and I, was, I didn't even win the grand final before I got a free trip to England to get a free shot at the World Club Challenge you know here I am in there but it was, it was a great trip we had a lot of fun over there Sticky Sticky was great in those environments you know like he, you know those first couple of years he had a tremendous balance about having fun but then working really hard and that team that Roosters era, you know, those early 2000s, that club worked extremely hard, you know. Probably until I went down to Melbourne, no team I'd been in your club had worked harder. Um, you know, we played extremely hard. You know, they had that rushing defence and, and then we trained hard and we enjoyed ourselves, you know. We, we, you know the, we certainly, when we had a team drink, we, we, we went hard at that too. So, But it, they trained extremely hard. There was great leaders led by Freddie. He was a tremendous captain. You spit smoke and mirrors Freddie with what you're seeing in the footage show and a bit aloof, but man, he's a champion, he's a winner, and he's a serious as they come. Extremely charismatic, whether it's an arm on the shoulder, or kick up the bum, or here we go. He, he was just an awesome leader. And we had blokes like Fitzy, Minnie, Rico, you know, Peter Cusack, these other great, Adrian Morley, these other great senior players around it. So for a young bloke, you know, I'd go out there behind that forward pack with Fitzy and those blokes. Big mouth for the best of times. So imagine just playing behind those blokes. You know? I felt ten foot tall and bulletproof. You know, so yeah, it filled you with plenty of confidence to be involved with those guys. And Sticky was a great coach where you know, he he rode you hard, but he backed you. You know, he'd stand by his players and you know, fuck, there's some tough days on the stick. You know, he was ruthless, especially with me. He was really hard at times, but you know, those first couple of years, I've seen great results and great strides in, in my career uh, because of you know, Sticky's coaching, and we certainly had a lot of fun together. Mate, I had um, I had Bernie Gurr on a few weeks ago, who would have been at the Chooks at the same time yep. as you. And he, you know, we spoke about Freddie quite a bit, and we entered into the should Brad Fittler be an immortal debate. And obviously, for you, you had a very unique experience. You know, Freddie's career was unbelievable, but I think that the, the years that you were next to him, that was his most complete football he ever played. Should he be an immortal, in your opinion? You know, he's in my top three best players I've ever seen. It's Miss Smith, Miss Cameron Smith, and uh, Joey. And I would say yes, because well, I look at Freddie because he's my hero as well. And then I became become great mates with him. So it's a, you know, I'm probably a bit biased there, but I just, just I look back now, and I've got even more respect for him now because especially that second year in 2004, he's seen my development grow, and he's sort of handed the reins over to me, you know, and I took control of the team, and uh, I was really the, the main ball player that year, and. When I got to the end of my career, you saw them realize, geez, for him to do that after everything he achieved and be able to check his ego out the door and go, here you go, young fella, I can see you're on your way up. I'm with you. And there were games like the Roosters, the Anzac Day game, we're under the pump and Freddie would just go out of the way. He did that mad try, left foot, left foot and scored. So he knew when to inject or knew when, but any other time he was just hands and heels. He let me, he let me go, you know, and it, and it developed my games through the roof. I know won the Dalian that year, played Origin for the first time. 
So when you get to the back end of your career, sometimes for old guys, it's hard to go, I'm nearing the end. I've got it. I can't do what I used to do. You know, and you can be quite stubborn and not want to let go. But he, you know, I, I even was more grateful in my career when I realised that, you know, at the end, he was still our best player in the team. Oh, by you far know, and away. Dominated yeah. origin that year, you know, like he still could have played. He was one of the best, you know, and and that's the player he was because he knew he was the best for the team and, you know, he contributed in other areas. So I just found him a tremendous, uh, not only a superstar and a champion player, but he's a superstar teammate. Made that 2003 season. Obviously, you go all the way to the grand final and we all know the story, losing to Penrith that night. Tell me about the week before that. In my opinion, you know, you guys played your grand final the week yeah. before against Canterbury. You know, r- rugby league had been waiting, you know, 18 months for that game and fuck, it didn't disappoint. Yeah, mate, I remember the footy stadium was sold out, 40-odd thousand there, you know, um, 45,000 or whatever it held the uh, SFS. And it, before we went out, we're in the home shed. Just before we go out, and Sticky, the lights go dark. Sticky's got a whiteboard and it's the, he's showing the anthem from the, the years before his grand final. And then you know how it pans along the team, arm in arm, pans along. Mate, I'm getting goosebumps now, honestly. I wasn't even involved in that team. But, like, if we win this game, I'm going to my first grand final. You know, these boys are defending champs. This mob's coming, to, you know. And it was one of those put up or shut up moments. You know, there'd been a lot of back and forth against the Chooks and the Roosters. Uh, sorry, the Roosters and the Dogs. Dogs, we would have only won it because we weren't there. They're, well, here, here's a chance. Right, eh, boys? Like, this is it. So, I take nothing away from Penrith. They won it, but in no doubt we may have uh, overcooked it the week before. You know, it was put up or shut up for both teams. You know, we'd been eyeing off all year. We knew there was going to be a point coming together. Unfortunately, not, not, we thought it might have been the grand final, but it was the week before. It was a real put up or shut up moment for, for both clubs. We went out there and blew them away. You know, at no stage were we under pressure. You know, we might have won by 10 or 12 points, but we are comfortable the whole way. And our forwards dominated this, you know, Mini at the back was terrific. Freddie and uh, come up with a couple of big plays. But yeah, we put a lot into that game and looking back now, you know, at the time we go, no, we're ready to go for next week. You know, no but looking back now you probably yeah, well it probably overcooked us a bit, but we needed to win that game because you know the, the energy around that and the anticipation was through the roof and you go to a Dark, wet night against Penrith, who probably played that, you know, the wet ground played into their hands a bit with their big forwards. And I'll probably look back the next year, the following year with dogs, I'm, I'm, you know, that, I, that eats away at me a bit because in the end, Penrith, we had a few things go against us. If it goes the other way, so be it. But against the dogs, you know, that second half, no four, we've, we've you know, fucked that up, you know, and that's that's one that sticks in the core. But no doubt that year before, you know, you look back, we, you know, we might have overcooked ourselves the week before, but you know, certainly wouldn't change anything. We'll get to that 04 grand final in a minute, mate. But obviously that 2004 season, as you said, you make your origin debut. In my opinion, you play your best footy ever. I mean, you're the red-hot favourite to take home the Dally M. Danny Badiris, I think he pips you by one or two points. Incredible yeah. season for you. Yeah, it was. Um, you know, that, and I was just, you know, to be footy come through loops and downs. What a tremendous um, combination with Anthony Minichello, who... That stage was the best fullback in the world, if not the best player. He was winning uh, Harry Sutherland medals for Australian Player of the Year, won a Golden Boot the following year, won Wally Lewis medals. So I had a tremendous, uh, we, like me and Minnie were best mates, we were best, we were best men at each other's weddings. But at that time, we were, like, we were just 
you know, we'll beat us at Butthead, you know what I mean? You know, we, we were knocking around together down in Bondi and having a lot of fun with young blokes, but we'll work hard together. And for a halfback, Minnie just knew what I was going to do and knew where he was going to be. So um, to have someone like that running off you, you know, I could run him into a brick wall and nine times out of ten he's going to bust through the tackle and I get a line break assist, you know. But he, he was a tremendous combination. We had a great team and you know, the team had been together for a few years and they were a real, a real tough team. You know, the forward pack was super tough. Half back to play behind in the back that created space for us. And, you know, I look back now, and, you know, that, that year, of course, I was in the spotlight a bit and, and I was getting the raps. I'd get dallying points when I knew someone else was probably played better. I knew I played well, but someone else was better where in other years gone down the track, I knew I was the best player on the field, but you get nothing, you know. So um, I would have loved to have won a dallying. Again, if you're going to lose it, I was more than happy. You know, Denny Videris is a champion and a terrific bloke. So I'm glad he was the one who, uh, me off me perch, so to speak. Thanks again for tuning in to the Rugby League Guru Podcast. That's the end of our interview with Brett Finch. That's part one. We've got part two and three coming over the next two weeks. Part two obviously touches on his move to the Parramatta Eels, but before that we talk about that 2004 grand final and you know where it all went wrong with the Roosters and it's sort of uh, his relationship with Ricky Stewart changed a lot over the years. Obviously when they were winning, their relationship was fantastic. When they were losing though, it wasn't as pretty and Finch dives into that and you know the amount of pressure he was under and his eventual move to the Eels. Uh, After the Eels, of course, he makes his move down to Melbourne and he enjoys some really great years there, obviously with Cameron Smith, you know, Billy Slater, Cooper Cronk, Craig Bellamy, some of just the all-time greats in their own departments, and he dives into those. Uh, It's a really great chat with Brett Finch. I hope you enjoyed part one, part two and three coming over the next few weeks. Keep kicking the corners and as always, play smart footy. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.